Hey, good morning, Center Church. I want to thank you for joining us. Seriously, thank you. I, I know that summer is a crazy time and there's a lot of things you could be doing, but I'm thankful that you're with us. Some of you are watching this while camping. Others of you are watching this while sitting in your RV or outside of your site. And as jealous as I am that I'm inside while you're outside, uh, it reminds me of my very first camping trip. In fact, my brothers and I decided, uh, we've got two younger brothers, we loaded up our school backpacks, chucked them on, grabbed our sleeping bags, I found an old buck knife, and we decided we're going to go camping. Uh, We had never been camping before, and so we loaded everything we thought we needed, all the rations, all of the uh, tools, the supplies, and we headed out the back door to the backyard. (laughs) And so we go to the backyard, we had a couple acres at the time, and we find a great spot under some trees, it was like just after dinner. We make our snack for the night, which was probably a mixture of fudge granola bars and cereal. We eat that, and then we get into our sleeping bags. No tent necessary. We were going to sleep under the stars. And so as we're sleeping under the stars, I hear the stomps of deer nearby. And it freaked me out a little bit, okay? I'm not, I'm like 16. No, I'm just kidding. I was a little bit younger than that. I was afraid, though. And I didn't know what was going on. I was totally disoriented. And so I wake up. I kind of like get the crust out of my eyes from the couple hours of sleep I had and decided we need to get out of here. Like something's going to happen. These deer are snorting. And I don't know if there's a buck that's going to charge me and flip me over my small, frail body. I had no idea. I started to freak out. So I wake my my other two brothers up and we just run as fast as we can to get out of the wilderness of our backyard. We decided to get out. Of the wild. Now, I have only been camping a couple times since. Some of you really love camping, but there's something about waking up in an unfamiliar place that I do not love. It's disorienting, it's worrying in some ways, it's frustrating because you don't know where things are. That's kind of how you might feel watching this today. Maybe you're starting a new job, maybe you've lost an old job. Maybe you're getting ready to step into a marriage or a new relationship. Maybe you're walking out of a really painful old one, a divorce, a breakup. Maybe there's a a lot of new things you're learning right now and you're trying to figure out how do I apply this to my life. Maybe there's some old habits and, and addictions and patterns you're trying to shut off right now. When you're in that wild space, which is full of unknown, It's disorienting. Again, sometimes we just get frustrated. We get angry. We get bitter. We get confused. We get sad. Um, It was interesting. I sat with a nurse from our church just a couple days ago. She shared with me that in her specific unit, they've had more alcohol-related hospitalizations and injuries uh, during this time post-stay-at-home order than they did the whole time during the stay-at-home order. Why is that? I guess in my mind, not knowing all the facts, I thought, lift a stay-at-home order, life back to normal, things are going to be good. But we found ourselves as a culture in the wild, not sure what the future holds, not sure what July is going to feel like. We don't even know what schools are going to look like in the fall. There's a lot of uncertainty, and that's what it means to be in the wild. So how do you survive the wild? How do you live in the wild? How do you remember God in the seasons where you feel like you're just out in a new place and don't know what to do? Well, 
I want to take you to a group of people who felt just like you feel, who can identify with the feelings of being in the wilderness. Uh, the Israelite people who God chose and set apart as a holy nation. He actually gave them an entire book of how to live out their identity called Leviticus. It's a book that, frankly, none of our life verses probably are in Leviticus. But we're going to jump in to the story in Leviticus 23. So I'm going to take this backpack off. You can do whatever you're doing and get ready. Grab your Bible or device and jump into Leviticus 23. So God, via Moses, who is the author, kind of the leader of Israel at this time, he's given them guidelines to thrive in the wild. He's given them things like the Ten Commandments and the book we're about to read. But here's what's interesting. You can't read the Old Testament and miss this one word. Remember. It's a Hebrew word, zakar. Say it with me if you want. Zakar. It's this idea that you can't forget that the key to living in the wild is actually to remember. And God wanted his people to thrive in the wild. See, these people had come out of Egypt, a place of slavery, a place of oppression, a place of, suppr a place of suppression of their religion. There, there was a lot of brokenness in Egypt. And now they're stepping into what a lot of us have called a new normal to figure out what is it like to follow God now. And God over and over instructed his people, remember, don't forget. He goes so far as to even give them a prayer. Deuteronomy 6 is this incredible prayer called the Shema. And Jewish people pray this to this day. In Deuteronomy 6, this Shema is a basically a summary of their faith. And it's a way for them to remember. We're going to actually pray that as churches over the next couple of weeks. I invite you to partake. You're even going to get a postcard in the mail sometime this week with the Shema on it, just as a way to remind ourselves. But God gave them four specific practices to anchor their future in the wild, in their new normal. And we're going to look at the first one today, and it's celebration. It's the practice of joy and rejoicing. Basically, God gave these people in Leviticus 23 guidelines to party and to party well. And uh, I don't know about you, I love a good party. And so I want you to look in Leviticus 23, starting in verse 1. Here's what Moses writes on behalf of the Lord. So the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. Read celebrations. The appointed festivals or celebrations of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. It was important for them to celebrate, so much so that God deems these days, these events, as sacred. And there's really seven. You can see it in your scriptures. There's 44 verses in this chapter, and it's basically an outline of these seven festivals. Here we go. I'm going to give it to you real quick. Number one, Passover. Number two, unleavened bread. Number three, first fruits. Number four, Pentecost. Number five, trumpets. Number six, atonement. And number seven, tabernacles. Those are the seven festivals outlined in Leviticus 23. And these follow kind of the agricultural cycle of Israel. They were integrated into their work lives, into their home lives, into their religious life. But they had been denied these rhythms while being enslaved in Egypt. Just picture it this way. Imagine for two years that you couldn't celebrate Christmas, Easter, your birthday, or your anniversary. 
those would be a hard couple of years. Even if you're not a Christ follower, not having Christmas would feel weird. Not having people around you celebrate Easter. I mean, picture not seeing peeps in the grocery store. Like, there's nothing worse than that. I love those sugary blessings from the Lord, okay? If those weren't there and Easter was just off the table for a couple of years, it would be really disorienting. And that's what happened to the Hebrew people in Egypt. They lost a chance to remember, to practice some of these incredible celebrations. But hold on. Can I say what you're thinking? Great for Israel. Who cares? <laughs> why, why should I care? In 2020, with all the things facing our world, why does this matter to me? I thought a lot about that question because there were some concerts I was looking forward to go to that were canceled. There were some sporting events I was excited to go to. They were canceled. In fact, it got so bad that some of you watched along with me the Last Dance documentary following the Chicago Bulls and the NBA championship run of Michael Jordan. I've never been so emotionally invested in something that happened in 1997 as I was watching those games back. I was six years old at the time, to give you some context. They meant nothing, but I was totally involved in them. Why? Because we love stuff to celebrate. I love being a part of a sporting event uh, just because of the pure energy of it. Frankly, if I'm honest, I've been to games in which I had no idea or no investment in the other two teams. I still get up and cheer when they score. Like that kind of is, is just the way I operate. I mean, all of us, we'd love to celebrate. And God knows this. And God had a vision for his people and has a vision for us that's greater than celebrating another Big Ten victory or being at a Kenny Loggins concert. Insert joke about how I'm too young to know who Kenny Loggins is, okay? <laughs> like, my parents are fans. Like, it just, there's more than that. Celebration has to mean more than that. Here's why it's important. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. When I celebrate well, I remember well. When I celebrate God's goodness and his faithfulness, it helps me remember God's goodness and his faithfulness. When I celebrate God's mercy in my life with other people, it helps me remember of how much God has saved me from, how much he's rescued me from. See, when you celebrate well, it means you remembered well. And if you remember well, it, there's a good chance that you're living dependent on God, which leads to life. You're remembering his faithfulness and it helps you to live into that future, even when you're in the wild. But here's what's sad for so many of us, when we don't celebrate well, it means we haven't remembered well, which ultimately leads us to live independent from God, even in the wild, saying, I don't need you. We, we live kind of void of, of remembering what God has done for us and the kind of work he's done on our behalf. And ultimately, Scripture points out it leads to death. It leads to spiritual poverty. It rots out our soul when we live independent from God. And Leviticus 23 outlines these seven celebrations or festivals they were commanded to observe. Really, an easy way to think about them is, because it may look like a lot of text to you, and it is. There's really two categories going on here in Leviticus 23. The first one is celebrating God's creation. 
Moses writes about animals and trees and people created in God's image and even the Sabbath, taking a, a full day off to stop and to pause and let God be God and us be finite, us be human. This is why I love Michigan summer. It's why I love going to sand dunes. It's why I love going to Holland State Park. It's why I love driving M22. It's why I love doing those things. And it's actually because I'm a Christ follower that I can celebrate those even more than someone who's not can. Because I recognize that they're God's gift to me. They're God's gift to us. Let's talk about race for a moment. What's happening in our world is incredibly polarizing, yet as followers of Jesus, as disciples, you and I can mourn the death of George Floyd and grieve with his family. At the same time, we can pray for police officers who put their lives on the line for us every night and every day because we don't see them as opposite. We see them all created in the mind of God and sustained by the hand of God. I mean, we see them that way. We celebrate God's creation in that. And the second is we celebrate his salvation. A lot of these festivals, if you've already scanned down your page or looked through your, looked through your Bible app, you saw they have to do with atonement and, and rest and salvation and redemption of reconciliation of God's people. We celebrate God's salvation And that didn't stop in the Old Testament. Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy, more celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. At the very heart of God, he he celebrates. He's a joyous God. He rejoices. And that's really our vision as a church wrapped up in Luke 15. That's why so many of you already know that verse. We say all the time that our vision is to see zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. Because at the very heart of who God is, he longs to celebrate when a child comes back home. And Jesus instructed his disciples to celebrate salvation because it's a reminder that we're in need of rescue too. That we don't have it figured out. That we are broken and needy people. And there's a lot at stake for us when we don't remember. One of the favorite quotes I've come across in the last couple days, and I think it describes this season really well, is from a pastor here in Grand Rapids named A.J. Sherrill. He says, if I'm not intentional to spend time with God during the week, by Thursday, I end up being a functional atheist. Let me read that one more time. If I'm not intentional to spend time with God during the week, by Thursday, I end up a functional atheist. What is A.J. saying? If we don't take time to celebrate and ultimately to remember, we lose sight of God. We lose sight of our own identity. We, we lose perspective on the most important things going on in our world. And I know just real honestly, the last couple nights ago, I was sitting and as you know, we're planning to regather as a church here in the near future and I'm excited about that, but there's also a lot of fear in me. There's some nerves in me. And there's a tendency for me as I lay in bed, can't fall asleep, start to sweat and just get nervous about the future to forget. Hold on a second. For the last 14 years of our church, has God not sustained us? 
Has he not protected us? Has he not given us life and energy and, and all the things we need? And then I th- think about my own life, shorter than some of your lives. But for me, God has sustained me and provided and protected and defended me over the years. I really have nothing to be afraid of. But if I don't stop to celebrate that, I forget. I lose sight of my perspective. And some of you feel exactly the same way about your job as you did pre-COVID-19. Some of you still are frustrated at your spouse. Some of you are still addicted. Some of you are still nervous. Some of you are still depressed and disappointed at where your relationship with God is and how far he feels from you. For the Israelites, there was a lot at stake if they didn't remember as well. There's a tendency in us, but also in them. And there's a huge difference, really, between knowing you're not in Egypt anymore and living like you're not in Egypt anymore. Knowing that you've been freed from this bondage and slavery and actually living out the the reality and truth that you are free. And this Leviticus 23 passage is so key to understanding celebration because not only does it outline seven celebrations, it actually helps us to reimagine the gospel. See, all these festivals point to Jesus and in a crazy rapid fire center church only way, we're gonna look at seven of them right now. So hang with me here. Number one is Passover. Leviticus 23 and verses four through eight, you saw that. This feast remembers the last plague in Egypt. When the angel of death passed over the children of Israel who applied the blood of the lamb to their doorposts. This is pointing to the cross. This is Jesus. This is God in flesh sacrificing himself for us. The gospel writer John says, behold the lamb of God pointing to Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. Number two, the feast of unleavened bread. This seven-day feast began on the day after Passover, and it looked back to when the Israelites left and fled Egypt. There wasn't even time to add leaven or yeast to their bread. It was quick. Jesus called himself the bread of life, and the unleavened bread ultimately points to Jesus' sinless life, his perfect life. He's the only perfect sacrifice for our sin. Number three, party three, first fruits. The feast of first fruits is the first that was just hard to get out in general. The Feast of First Fruits is the first of three harvest feasts to honor God with a tithe. With the first 10% of the harvest, it celebrated the third day after the lambs were sacrificed. Third day? You may already be connecting the dots. This points to Jesus being the first harvest of grain or the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus rose on the third day. We literally just talked about that last Sunday. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, that he is the very first fruits of resurrection, of the promise of eternal life. Feast number four, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days. This feast is the second of three harvest feasts. It occurs exactly seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits, so it's called Pentecost, which again means 50 days. Traditionally, people are expected to bring the first harvest of grain to the Lord, and on this day, You can read about this in Acts 1 and 2. On this day, the Holy Spirit came and the church was born and a harvest of 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God. 
Do you see the connections here between Leviticus and what God ended up doing through the church? Number five, Feast of Trumpets. If you're in marching band, this one's for you. At the sound of a trumpet blast, all regular work was prohibited. Sabbath was starting, and and all all of the workers had to take a break. Men and women were preparing through this feast their hearts for the Day of Atonement. It pointed to Jesus' return that's prophesied to happen with a trumpet blast and his kingdom of peace arriving on the earth. Number six, the Day of Atonement. To make atonement really means to make restitution for wrong or injustice that's been committed. And the high priest at this time in Israel's history would go in to the Holy of Holies in the temple to offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people for the past year of their sin. It's a lot of sin. And that's a lot of sacrifice. Hebrews later tells us that Jesus... He offered a sacrifice once and for all for all of our sin and all of our shame if we put our faith and trust in him. It points to our judgment day. But instead of that day being a day of condemnation because of what Jesus has done and the the day of atonement being the cross, we get to celebrate rather than be condemned. Number seven, the Feast of Tabernacles. See, celebration always follows the Day of Atonement. Tabernacles looks backward to God's provision for his people in their 40 years wandering in the wild. For the seven days of this feast, people basically camped in temporary structures like they did in the wilderness. But Jesus, Jesus comes to us in a temporary tabernacle, a human body to be God with us, Emmanuel, during his time here on earth here on earth. Why does this matter? Why did I take the time to kind of rapid fire through all those festivals? Why, why do those celebrations matter? Why do they matter in general, but why do they matter now? I mean, after all, let's be real. Don't we have to overcome racism in this country before we can start caring about things like this? Don't we need to rebuild our economy? Don't we need to gather for church again? Aren't those things way more important? Maybe. But I think about the power of celebration when I think about my mom's dad who passed away a couple years ago. We called her Nanny. Nanny was an incredible baker, an even better piano player, and an awesome grandmother. She and my grampy had faithfully served Jesus all over the Canada and the U.S. And had done ministry in a bunch of different places. Lived in Ukraine for a time. I mean, this lady was a servant-hearted person. And she loved to sing. But a couple years ago, dementia started to incredibly deteriorate her body. Not only did it affect her mind, but she began to break down physically. Couldn't remember her own husband, didn't know where she was. Would go try to escape out of the house, not knowing what was even going on. It was incredibly sad. My parents cared for her during that time. And in the last couple weeks which became evident to us as we progress of her life. Uh, she lived in Burnups, Michigan, actually. They never lived in Michigan long-term, but they ended up living about 15 minutes away from where our church is now. Lindsay and I lived in Detroit at the time, and my dad called me and said, hey, it's probably best if you come say goodbye. Nanny's not looking very good. So he makes a drive over, 
We pull in the driveway. We walk into the room where she is, and it's hard to describe what I saw. She wasn't passed away yet, but the life had drifted out of her body. Her eyes were glossed over. She didn't know who I was, and she barely could speak or eat or drink anything. This is not the nanny I remembered. I sat there. My uncle walks in, and he said, did you hear what happened the other night? I was like, no. He said, the other night, all of nanny's kids, including my uncle and aunts, they came in, and they grabbed guitars, and they began to sing hymns that nanny used to play on the piano. Her tired hands couldn't even play a piano. She just laid there. They said, a couple songs in, something changed. Something clicked. Something cut through the dementia, cut through the physical barriers, cut through the sting of death that was lingering over her bed. And she began to sing. She she began to celebrate. There was life in her again. And they sang all night long for hours, sang some of her favorite hymns. They celebrated Jesus. They worshiped him. And she remembered. She remembered the songs. She couldn't even remember my name, but she remembered multiple choruses of these hymns that she grew up playing on the piano. Don't tell me that celebration doesn't matter. Don't tell me that not remembering doesn't make a difference. She celebrated, which led her to remember God's faithfulness. And ultimately, her hope was not in a physical body. It was not in a doctor. It was not in a current circumstance. It was in Jesus and the power of of the cross to, to overcome injustice. And ultimately, she was moments away. Little did we know. I mean, we didn't know how much time she had left, but she was days away from experiencing the final celebration with Jesus where she was free from injustice, from broken down bodies, from dementia, from the pain. She's free. If, if I want to celebrate, when I celebrate well, I remember well. For Nanny, this changed everything. I think it could change everything for you. And so, How do we take a next step in this? How do we grow? How do we move on from this reality of knowing that, yes, we're in the wild. And yes, celebration matters. And yes, even more than that, remembering matters. Adopting that into our life, it matters. I want to challenge you to do one thing this week. It's really simple, and it's going to mean something different probably for each of us. I want to encourage you to up the spiritual temperature of your celebrations this week. Chances are you may be going to a birthday, a family dinner, a grad party, maybe even a funeral. Would you do whatever it takes to up the spiritual temperature of that? Would you maybe pray a little bit longer? Maybe put the phone down. Maybe fully engage. Maybe invite someone into that celebration. But just up the spiritual temperature. In fact, what we're going to do here in just a minute is take communion together. And communion really is the greatest celebration for a Christ follower. And if you're not a Christ follower, this this step, this day, you can make that happen. You can step into that. You can surrender. But for those of us who are following Jesus, communion, the reminder that 
Jesus laid down his life for us to make us whole and give us a fresh start. This is the greatest celebration. And it's one I don't want you to miss. So I'd love to pray for you. And then we're going to move into that time together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that despite being in the wild, despite the uncertainty of the next couple weeks, despite the pain and some of the loss and some of the stress that we're under and that we face as we engage this morning, we thank you for hope. We thank you that we can truly be made new in your presence, that we can be led by your Holy Spirit and that we can have new life. Help us to celebrate well so that we can remember that well. In Jesus' name, amen.